Amen. Church, you can open up your Bibles to John chapter 6. This morning we are in verses 25 through 40. It's going to be a long section of scriptures. John chapter 6, verse 25 through 40. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not concealed yourself. You have not hidden yourself from us, but you clearly reveal who you are. Father, we thank you that this morning we have the opportunity with your church to open up scripture openly and to study what you declare about yourself, Lord. I pray that your word would do a mighty work in my heart, in the heart of our church, and in this world, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Aloha to you, church. My name is Leo. We want, I just want to welcome all of you here. If you are new here, I just want to welcome you to our church. And um, I know I promised a few weeks ago that we're going to try to keep the sermons short. Uh, I've tried hard to condense the sermon, but we're still like about 40 minutes. So I'm sorry, but I myself am fighting for shade here. The sun is going to take over pretty soon. But there are some questions that humanity just can't shake off. We have been asking these questions since the beginning of time. These questions of old can be summed up into two questions. First, who am I? Who are we? And who is God? Those two questions the world seeks to answer through many 
different ways. Through religion, science, philosophy, all great thinkers of the world have struggled with these questions, including great philosophers like Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. They all have struggled with these questions. And either through positive affirmation of the existence of God or through negative denial, every human being deals with the question of who is God. Anywhere you go in the world, you will find people worshiping some kind of deity or an idea. Go to India, for example, and the Hindus will tell you that there are over 33 million gods. Go to Korea, North Korea, and they worship a personality or a dynasty. Their god is the Kim family. Organized or casual, primitive or modern, in a tribe that is off the coast of Africa or in New York City, explicitly or hidden deep inside, every human asks the question, who am I and who is God? And the answers, the answer to the question of who is God will inevitably impact how we answer the question of who am I? Because what we worship and who we perceive God to be will, will impact our identity and it will shape our lives. And so as humans, we cannot not worship. Even if people deny the existence of God uh, and, come them, and call themselves nuns, that's a new popular term a lot of millennials use, they call themselves nuns, we don't believe in anything. But if you look closely, there are things in their lives that captivate their desires, their emotions, their time, their attention. Something captivates their finances, and their life still revolves around something that they love, something that they worship. But God, he, he doesn't leave us in the dark. When we turn to the Bible, he doesn't leave us seeking without answers. He doesn't leave us guessing. He doesn't leave us to our own imagination to somehow figure out who he is. But God has clearly declared to us who he is. God is not like the other gods. He's not a created product of our imagination or philosophy he wasn't carved by human hands out of stone, wood, or metal. God is the creator of everything in existence. He is the sovereign king and ruler of all. And God speaks. God declares who he is. God has spoken through the history. And all that he said, everything he declared about himself is right here. In this book, it's in the Bible. And what he said about who he is has a massive impact on who we are. So as we study these seven I am statements, uh, we got to understand that this is who Jesus declares himself to be. The first time we encounter this term, the term I am, is in Exodus chapter 3. God speaks to Moses through 
a strange way. It's through a burning bush. And when God uh, sends him off with a message to his people, Moses says to God in Exodus 3.13, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It's kind of a weird name to give yourself, yeah? I am. Um, But this is the name that God has given himself. And the thing about this name, I am, it begs a question. The question is, I am what? And so later through the history, God displays to his people who he is. He displays to them his awesome power, his might as he takes them out of Egypt. And we'll get into more detail uh, come fall as we get, uh, go into our study through Exodus. But this moment, this moment in Exodus, when God declares himself as the great I am, this moment became the most sacred and holy for the Jews. Fast forward to the coming of Jesus as the Son of God, appearing in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity. We have a story of Jesus being questioned by the Jews. And so they start bragging about uh, their heritage and how they, they have this lineage. Their father is Abraham. And after a long exchange, Jesus ends the conversation like this. John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. In this moment, you can see how sacred these words were to the Jews. When Jesus applied the words to himself, when he described himself as the great I am, look at the reaction that he got. They picked up stones to stone him. Ultimately, blasphemy was the reason. It was the main accusation against the death of Jesus. It's because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the great I am that they killed him. Jesus was the great I am. He was the embodiment of the great I am. And so through John we have these seven claims that Jesus makes about himself, known as the seven I am statements. And so, as we look at these statements, you will realize that all of them have very powerful implications for our lives. If you believe that Jesus is God, and what he reveals about himself is true, then who he is will impact who you are. As Jesus answers the question of who is God, you will find an answer to who am I. So this is kind of a quick setup for our series. Um, And now we will get into uh, John chapter 6. This is the vision. This is where we're coming from. We want to declare and look into the truths of who Jesus declares himself to be, who God is. And so in our verses we see a dialogue happening uh, back and forth between Jesus and these people, the Jews. 
And I just want to, this morning, follow the logic of their conversation and see how Jesus reveals himself to these people. Uh, we read a part of chapter 6. Um, we will go back and forth um, outside of our verses. We'll, we'll, we'll be all over chapter 6 uh, just to kind of see the context of what's going on. Are you guys familiar with the story of how Jesus miraculously fed a crowd of 5,000 people. Um, that's in the beginning of chapter 6. And I'll paraphrase it. Jesus feeds 5,000. It was more like 15,000. 5,000 was only men. And he feeds them by doing a great miracle of multiplying five loaves and two fishes. The crowd was stoked for what happened. And in verse 15, we read that they were going to take Jesus by force and make him king. Who doesn't want a king like that? He feeds thousands of people out of nothing. But Jesus withdrew into the mountains, and at night, his disciples went across the sea, and Jesus went across the sea to another town of Capernaum. But the next morning, the crowd gets up. They can't find Jesus. They're still excited about the bread that he fed them with, so they get into these, their boats, and they cross the sea, uh, to go find Jesus. They want more freebies. And they can't leave Jesus alone. They find Jesus and they ask him, Rabbi, when did you come here? All the moms, we have a lot of moms. They probably understand how Jesus felt in this moment. No matter how hard you try to get away from your kids, to get a few minutes to yourself, they find you and they say, Mom, how did you get here? We miss you. It's been like two minutes. You can't even go to the bathroom for alone for a couple minutes. They knock, Mom, where are you? Jesus crossed the sea, and they found him. And so they ask him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus completely ignores their question, but he answers them this, verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus is like, let's talk about why you are really here. And he begins to expose their motive. He begins to show them why they are really after him, and he shows them that the reasons are wrong. They just really like the bread. Why wouldn't you want to follow a guy who feeds you? Jesus said, you're seeking me not because you saw signs. The signs of healing, the signs of the, the miracles, uh, the amazing feeding that just happened, all those signs displayed the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. They displayed that he is king over his creation. He can bend the natural laws to his own will. He can make whatever he wants happen. All signs point to the fact that he is Messiah, but these people are not seeking him to worship him as Messiah. Jesus tells them, you seek me because you ate your fill of bread and you just want more of that. You just really like my bread. When Jesus was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, uh, at this wedding, they ran out of wine. And so Jesus performs his first miracle. He makes more wine. And people went nuts. It was the best wine they have tried. And so I'm sure the same thing is happening here. They've tried some really good 
bread. You see, they're not interested in Jesus as a person. They were following Jesus for something other than Jesus. They were following Jesus for physical security, physical satisfaction. Now, Jesus is concerned for their physical well-being. He just fed them. He provided them with physical nutrition. But even the best nutrition, the best diet habits, the most healthiest food you can find on the planet cannot save us from the coming of death. That is why far more than material, Jesus is concerned for their eternal well-being. So as Jesus shows them why they are really following him across the sea, Jesus isn't doing this to just mock them. He's not poking fun at them. But in this moment, he is graciously acting out of love not to leave them in their ignorance. Jesus knows how naive we can be, how easily distracted and satisfied we become with secondary blessings of God. So often we miss the real and eternal blessing because we settle for the blessing that satisfies us for a couple of hours. A full stomach distracted them from seeing their Messiah. And so Jesus tells them, do not work, verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Working for food, working for provision is an essential part of our lives. And here Jesus isn't telling us to stop working. But what if you work so hard and you find so much success that you gain access to all the treasures of the world? Best medicine, best food, doctors, best technology, all the best therapists. If you gain these things, is there a chance that you can dodge, somehow escape the reality of death? I hate to break it to you, but billionaires die. Paul Allen, net worth of over $20 billion with access to the best and the greatest, died of cancer last year. The point that Jesus is making is that the primary, the chief concern of our lives should not be chasing after things that will perish. But our primary concern should be to seek and work for food and provision that endures and survives into eternity. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Spoiler, as we continue through their conversation, Jesus will be talking about the spiritual bread. The Jews will always perceive it to be physical. They're just going to miss each other. Jesus is going to tell them about himself, about the eternal bread, spiritual food. They're, just, they're, they're still thinking physical. They're just going to constantly miss each other. And so they asked Jesus. Then, then they said to him, verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus said, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that gives, that, but, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. And so naturally they ask him, what do we do? What kind of work do we do to earn this bread? We want bread that lasts 
forever. They saw Jesus multiplying bread, and they want the same kind of bread. What type of work must we do to get this? These Jews are very religious. Their lives are filled with countless of laws that they try to abide every day. So what is a few more? They are ready to do any kind of work just to get this super bread that Jesus is offering to them. These people have a great desire for what Jesus has. So they ask, what must we do to get this? What work should we do? Does this remind you of some people who call themselves Christians? People who attend church, they follow Jesus, they're passionate about Jesus, they will go anywhere, they will cross the ocean for Jesus. But they follow Jesus, not for him. They follow him to get some sort of blessing, either in the form of health, wealth, or any other form. They think that if they do religious work, if they participate in church or do enough good, they earn some kind of favor from God. What must we do? Their question is, what can we do? How do we get this food? And Jesus answers them in verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This statement is the destruction of everything religious. It puts all attention away from the ability of man to earn some sort of favor with God. Jesus offers the food that endures into eternity, and the only thing you have to do to get this food is believe. They ask what works, in the plural, what works must we do? And Jesus points them to the one and only work. The work that supersedes any work. It's the work of God to give man an ability to believe in the one whom he sends. There is no other work, church, that is required to receive the food that endures, but that we believe in Jesus. Verse 30, 31, the dialogue continues. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? What, what, that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He, have, he, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're like, wow, you want us to believe in you as the one sent from God? Give us proof. They want a sign. How do we know that you are God? What sign, Jesus, do you have that we may see and believe? And so they bring up this example. It's a sign that God has given to their fathers. It was during a time when Israel was uh, in the wilderness, and six days a week they would wake up, and God would miraculously provide to them this, this thing, bread. It was called manna. It was bread that rained down from heaven. It's like cloudy with a chance of meatballs for real. It was a sign that confirmed the credibility and the legitimacy of Moses. 
And so now they want Jesus to prove his claim that he is sent from God. He want, they want him to provide credible divine sign. The problem is the sign was already given to them. They missed all the signs. They are blind to the signs. The irony is that they ask for a sign that could compare to the provision of manna, and just yesterday, they were in the wilderness. They were hungry. No food. And Jesus fed thousands of them by multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish. The sign was in front of them, and yet they did not accept it as a sign. For them, the sign of Moses was still greater. Jesus, you multiplied bread using earthly bread. Well, guess what? Moses made bread rain down from heaven. Try again. Give us a greater proof. Give us a greater sign. And so verse 32 and 33, Jesus responds to them. He said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Moses was one of, one of the greats for the Jews. He was the greatest prophet leader of all time. Because of his leadership and taking them out of Egypt and all of the signs and miracles that surrounded his leadership. And so Jesus sets the record straight. He tells them, it wasn't Moses that gave you manna or the bread. It was my Father. And now the Father gives you true bread from heaven. This here is a kind of a play on words. By saying true bread from heaven, what Jesus does is he tells them that I got something greater than manna. Manna is cool, but I got something that's way better. I got the true bread from heaven. The real deal. Something that makes manna pale in comparison. There's something more superior than manna. Something far greater than manna is happening here. Manna was a great miracle, but it served a temporary purpose. It was physical provision. Notice the past tense. Moses gave you bread. But the bread that the Father gives, gives in the present day, gives today. It is the true bread that comes from heaven and gives eternal provision. And so they get excited. They get stoked. In verse 34, they're still, they, they don't get it. They're still thinking of physical bread. They say, sir, give us this bread always. They're still thinking of the material bread. They're excited because Jesus is offering them something better than manna. Manna happened thousands of years ago, and today, right now, they can receive bread from heaven. They want it. Just like the Samaritan woman at the well when Jesus uh, said to her in John 4, 13, the water that I will give him will, come, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is telling uh, her of the uh, 
of the spiritual water that, satis- that satisfies. And, and she responds to Jesus' words and says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Same with these Jews. They're saying, Sir, give us this bread always. They're thinking of physical bread. And so loud and clear, we come to the famous verse, verse 35. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There, he finally clearly spelt it out for them. I am the bread of life. Manna was miraculous. It kept a nation physically alive in the wilderness for 40 years. But guess what? They still all died. But the true bread from heaven gives life to your soul, not to your body. And the life that God gives to you through Jesus Christ is eternal. It won't perish. You only have to eat it once. That's the beauty of this bread. Your fathers had to keep on eating the bread to stay alive. You get a taste of me, and you will never hunger again. That is how satisfying Jesus is. And so we see Jesus begins to answer the question of who is God. Jesus says to them, I am God. I am the I am. The God that is the source of all life. He is the bread of life that came to give his life to save sinners. He is a God that loves He is a God that cares. He is a God that came into the world that was dead and lost in sin to give himself as the bread of eternal life. Just like we tear or we cut bread to eat it, Jesus' body was torn with the whips of the Roman soldiers. It was crucified so that we may eat of him and have eternal life life. Jesus is the bread of life. Verse 36 through 40 is dense with theology. We can uh, preach five sermons easily out of this. We don't have time to get into it all, but I'm going to read it. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus makes some amazing promises to those who believe in him in this text. All who believe in Jesus... All who taste of this bread of life will never be cast out. Jesus will not lose them, but he will give them eternal life. And even though those who believe in him will experience physical death, because they have tasted Jesus, on the last day, he will raise them up to reign with him in the new heaven and the new earth where there is no pain, no tears, no suffering, and no death. That's the promise that Jesus makes here. And further in this chapter, you can read it later, 
after Jesus spoke these words, the Jews still did not believe him. They grumbled because he had said that I am the bread of life. They started digging in his genealogy, saying, isn't he the son of Joseph? Don't we know his mom and dad? How can he make such a claim? How can he say that he is the son of God, that he is the great I am? Later, Jesus will say um, in the same chapter, verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 66, after this, many of even his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That is the response to Jesus' words. The disciples that turned away from him were not the twelve. Uh, there was a lot of people who were following Jesus, uh, who were seeking to be discipled by him, but they turned away because they continued to misunderstand his statement. They took it on a physical level. Church, I'm talking to the Christians who are here. The point of bread is to satisfy hunger. We eat so that we will not be hungry. But physical bread, it satisfies temporarily before we need to eat again. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. The spiritual bread that Jesus gives satisfies our souls completely. As Christians... We claim that we have tasted Jesus. We follow him not because we want stuff, but because we love him and he is our Lord. So now I ask you, does your life display that you are satisfied in Jesus? Do we live as though we have been satisfied by him? Or are we craving satisfaction from other sources? I'm just going to list off a few categories and allow us to just, just test our own hearts. We're all different, so it's a list of different things. Some of them might entice you, some of them might not. But ask yourself, what might I hold on to? What are you trying to maybe fill your void in the soul instead of Jesus? Maybe it's money. Family, your body, the way you look, social media, your social status, health, food, career, scrolling endlessly on your iPhone or iPad for information or news, clothing, entertainment, friendships, Marriage, this applies to both single and married, are any of these things standing in the place of Jesus? I purposely am not listing things that we can call blatant sins. All these things have a place in our life. All these things can be important to us, but the way we pursue them is it clear to the world around us if they are observing that we are ultimately satisfied in Jesus, that Jesus is the one we are pursuing above all?
as Jesus offers himself as bread of life to the Jews, he's not arguing with them that they should stop eating bread. The point is, he's offering to them something that will satisfy the deepest longing of our soul. Only Jesus can do that. Christian, if you ate of the bread of life, your life should display that you are satisfied by Jesus. And if you're not a believer, you heard all the arguments of Jesus to the Jews. You see that what Jesus offers cannot be beat. There's nothing in life that you can pursue greater than Jesus. Everything that you will pursue in life outside of Jesus will, be the, will result in death. It will not bring you spiritual awakening for your soul. Believe in him as the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And he is the one that is able to make you right with God. Taste the bread of life and your soul will experience satisfaction that you can never find. Amen. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for your word and that you um, offer yourself to us as the living bread and that we can come to you and you accept us. And Father, you satisfy our souls. You satisfy our longing. Everything that we can pursue in this world, it will give us temporary pleasure for a few hours, for a few days, for a few months before it crushes us. But you, God, you, Lord, bring life to us, life that is eternal. And Father, we thank you for that. Lord, for anyone here who has, been, uh, who, who, who has believed in you and yet today they're pursuing something other than you, Father, bring them to yourself. Let them be satisfied by you. And those who have not tasted, who have not seen that you are good, Father, bring them to the Son. Give them the ability to believe in you, Jesus so that they might taste and see how good you are. Lord, we pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.